Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are... Hi, I'm Gage, host of Gaming with Gage. I'm Callie, I'm the DM of Riff and Rebel. Hi, I'm Wayne from Fear the Boot, and I think I'm the Mirror Universe evil version of Gage because I have every opposite opinion of him. <laughs> All wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about it in terms of, I guess this is up to us. Do we want to talk about it, I should say, in terms of mechanics that give players control or a GM just giving an unburdening control onto the players? I mean, why not? all the manners <laughs> in which we can give players control because um, that's the best way to make players feel engaged, I think, right? To make them feel like this is part of their game, you know? So there's a lot of mechanics that do it really well. One thing you do have to watch for, though, is uh, I've had one case where this went bad, and only one, because I'm a big fan of giving players all kinds of control and letting them run wild. But I had one case where a guy that's always a GM, I gave him too much room and he ran wild with it. And uh, basically it was everything opposite of what all of the other players have been doing. Was a new player in the, in the campaign. Uh, the others have been playing for a year and it went way off the ranch because I didn't take back any of the control. Is that why you don't like usually Dan not play me. with you anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love playing with Dan, but that was Dan actually. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a whole lot of things that went wrong with that one case. It wasn't just a GM running wild and uh, basically me giving him the freedom to do so. It was he didn't get the support he needed when he made the character. Uh, there was all of the setting in place. It was a Dresden Files game. And he had ne didn't know anything about the setting, no, either the internal setting we had done or the overall feel. So he brought something in from more Eastern mythology, which could work very well. It just didn't fit with what was going on very well. And out of all of my GM mistakes, that session had that hit every one of them. <laughs> so have you adjusted since then how you introduce players to a setting or oh definitely uh after that i really push for you know when a new person's coming in mid-campaign everyone has to be more involved uh, i let everyone else check out and it ended up being basically me and him making his character and that didn't work when you have a whole party and everyone is already invested you need them all taking part in the creation as well it just they need to share what they believe the setting is uh, sorry as a relatively new dm like i've only dm'd for one group so far uh, how do you encourage players to take the initiative in that creation in really collaborating in the control of the world or the setting, so to speak. How do you set that up and yet still have boundaries, I guess? I like to start with a ringer. Um, <laughs> uh, so generally, I, I tend to run with a lot of the same people. One shots are a little different. One shots, I actually don't care about boundaries quite as much because if they go wild, that's fine. 
But for most games, I try to have at least one person that I like know really well and can trust and bounce off with them. And then when we're at the table and they start doing it, everyone else kind of does it as well. But sometimes you need to enforce the boundaries. And I've had to do that where it's like, love where your head's at. Not for this game, but I love where your head's at. And you, you know, and be kind. But what I've found is my instinct to do that as a GM, uh, to pull people back is usually not the right one. Not always not the right one. I'm very controlling about some of my games. Um, but if you just let them go ahead and go out of bounds, it can actually be funny. It's like, oh, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. Or you can use the, uh, the time-honored uh, Eric approach of anything that you do, the bad guys can do too. So go ahead and make up this mythical world where you guys have a flying tank that carpet bombs people, but just know that next week the bad guys are going to have a bigger one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I tend to do is use the NPCs. So mm-hmm. let's say they're doing something absolutely out of control. An NPC will call them on it. They That doesn't mean that they can't do what's out of control. That doesn't mean that I'm pulling them back in any way. But the NPC is my voice in. Mm-hmm. NPC may not punish them, but the NPC will will call them. You know, uh, Let's say they're trying to rob a jewelry store or something crazy like that. The NPC will be like, you guys do realize you've got you know five boxes of gold and you can just go in and buy what you want here mm-hmm. the voice of reason npc yes <laughs> i like having those voice of reason npcs or you know are you really going to raid the nazis in the nazi uniforms when you've just told the hawk people to drop bombs on anyone in a nazi uniform yeah players are very creative and not very smart at the same time it's a beautiful company um I'm, so from the mechanic side i guess for me the answer is always easy because i play a better game system than other people um i am curious callie you play mostly D. and for me one of my frustrations as a player uh coming from other systems that let players exert a little control is i feel very limited in D as a player And I feel like I don't have that much control. So what are some of the things that you do there that kind of helps people feel like they also are in the game? Uh, Well, I'm probably pretty lucky because my whole group um, was basically new to at least 5e, Mm. um, which is what we were playing. And uh, so we were all kind of in the same boat in terms of feeling out the mechanics, feeling out um, like the group, uh, social mechanics, um, how we play together, um, how DMing works, how to run a player. So we were all kind of figuring it out as we went. Um, We did have um, a session zero, which helped in the creation of like the party, the backstory, I told them they could do whatever they wanted with the backstory. They asked, uh, we were, were playing in um, an established campaign or setting. Um, we're running Storm King's Thunder, so it's in Forgotten Realms. Um, so I feel like that may have uh, restricted them, or at least they felt restricted in what they could do or could create. Um, Maybe they didn't feel that way, but um, I got a lot of questions of like, is there this in the world? How does this work? Um, And sometimes I had an answer and sometimes it was like, you know what, let's just make it up. (laughs) (laughs) 
how do you want that to work? Um, but I think there was more of just a general, um, not quite uneasiness, I guess just uh, lack of familiarity with just the game, like tabletop RPG, <laughs> and not yeah. necessarily the system or the setting, just there was too much that was new to really get into the the meat of just creating things that they wanted to do or what they wanted it to look like. I think if we were to finish this campaign and do a different one, they would probably feel a lot more comfortable in creating their own stories, characters, places. I feel like that comfort level is probably there now, but... It was a very baby step kind of <laughs> creation. <laughs> One of the things I like to do in that session zero character creation game, and I just did this last week, I did a session zero for a uh, traveler game. And at the end of it, I gave them all homework. Okay, <laughs> here's your NPC. Tell me everything about them. This is somebody, you know, named three positions on the ship with no other information about them. A cargo master, a janitor, and the steward, so the the chef, and everything about those characters, their history, any anything personality that was theirs to define. Uh, I like doing things like that. I part of that was I came up, you know, gaming with Chad, and Chad likes to give whole sections of the world to people. You know, who's, who's Chad? Chad from Fear the Boot. <laughs> That's messing with you. Yeah, like I, Chad I, will give you a whole. Uh, you say you're the wizard. It'll be okay. What's wizard society like in this uh, <laughs> fantasy world? And you define it. So it kind of came from that. I find as a player where I struggle is settings that I don't know. So like the first time I played a BattleTech game, I knew nothing about BattleTech, and you know I just didn't. I didn't add anything to the setting. I didn't you know throw anything out there, any suggestions because I knew nothing. At least with fantasy games, I've got something as a you know frame of reference superhero games i've got things for a frame of reference battletech i was clueless so is that a a point of advice can we can we mine that out with cuz it sounds like that's two two situations you're talking about that and your dresden file games about running for players who don't know the setting when you're playing an established setting i mean i guess that makes i feel that playing an established settings kind of all together can limit the the feeling of a player being in control. Um, I think mitigating it, cre create an NPC, come back to me with an NPC is one of my favorite things in the <laughs> world. My problem is, I think my last group, I said, come back to me with an NPC, and one person did. Uh, it was wonderful, and I used the NPC dramatically, but <laughs> it, it, homework for me doesn't always happen. Um, one of the things I'm working on right now, a, a project that I'm, I'm writing, I, I'm going to end up putting it in as an optional thing because someone brought up good feedback that it was a lot for a GM. Um, but I want to do a one-shot story that is based around a bad guy. There is one bad guy. And I think it would be fun to start off the game by saying, all right, we're going to go around in a circle and you guys are going to tell me who this person is. And then just have them build the big bad right in the very beginning uh, so that everyone feels like they have a say in it. But in a one-shot, I don't know, it might be a little too hard for some GMs. I don't know. Yeah, I love that idea for a campaign. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more room for collaborative creation in a campaign than in a one shot. I don't think very many people are coming into a one shot expecting a lot of freedom to create because there's usually like a time limit on <laughs> on the game. And, you know, I think that's the time for like crazy use of spells, uh, probably not so much in terms of backstory or <laughs> character creation, but... I think that a lot of it for a campaign all goes back to that session zero or session one. If you want to encourage people to start creating things and throwing the ideas out, then it's your approach when you sit down. If you come in and give them a 12 page, here's the history of the world and here's how everything works, no one is going to think that they can throw things in. If you come in with a, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, what do you guys think about magic system in this world? Do you know? Do people accept magic, or is magic something that you're hunted for? That's going to immediately set the tone of I'm listening for your input. And this is all kind of session zero, which I I don't know. From the sound of the conversation, we are all on the session zero bandwagon. I hope. Yeah. Uh, good much. session. <laughs> yeah. Good session zero. Good campaign. Um, what about what do you guys do in individual sessions to? kind of make that like keep that flowing and make sure that everyone is feeling engaged and like how do your players let you know hey i want to take control of this aspect or this scene or this moment well play systems that have it built in like fate yeah systems that have it built in like mm. fate sure. <laughs> 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 yeah i've Sorry. actually taken the mechanics of benny's from savage world the only good thing about savage world plus fate chips from fate and built those into other systems before i just uh, want to say I'm, one thing card-based initiative is the best thing from savage worlds continue <laughs> But I, I like that idea of if you have a group of players around the table that are not the type of people that will just jump in and start adding things, then give them a mechanic that, because some people feel like they need that permission. And having a poker chip sitting in front of them is their permission to add something to the world when you're giving that the permission, but there's a mindset. I mean, if you've got a lot of players that have been playing for years, they may not be used to it. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of comfort needed uh, to, you know, be be free enough to try to be creative, especially, you know, if people aren't like they don't play a lot of games, they don't play a lot of RPGs, they may not know what the boundaries are or what they're free to do. And yeah, that communication is definitely important and having something physical like that like a chip that they can put in or a mechanic built in would definitely help with that comfort level i would think but it's also a matter of experience too just having a place to do that or or to have a dm say like yeah bring on the ideas like we might not be able to do everything but let's give it a shot absolutely i think it's also a case of knowing your players too on whether when and where to do it because I can say as a player that likes to, I like mysteries in my game. I like exploring and finding the the answers. So I've had that issue before where I was playing with the GM and, you know, I roll really well to find something. And he's like, well, what do you find? 
as a certain kind of game, like inspectors or something, you expect that. But in a D&D game, when you're wanting something that's going to give you a clue to what's going on and you're told, what do you find? I, that doesn't work for me. The answer is always a Vorpal sword. <laughs> I feel like that's something that would definitely need to be discussed before the game starts. You know, the expectations that needs to be discussed at the start of a campaign or, or even a one shot like that needs to be because if I were in a game and the DM said that to me, I'd be like, uh, uh, what? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't be in the mindset to be thinking creatively, to be thinking inventively that way. Yeah, yeah and that was exactly what happened to me. You know, I had no clue what to say because it's like, I'm wanting to find something that helps me figure out your story. If you ask me a character's name, I'll throw a name out there for you, but that's not, you know, that's not when I'm searching for a clue. Uh, young One Two has a question. Um, what are some, some specific mechanics from one game that you ported over to another game that helps with agency or control? Um, Benny's. I... So when I first, so the long road to the Savage Worlds was because I listened to a Gamers Table AP, Tower of the Ape. Uh, and before I actually started running Savage Worlds, I was like in love with the system, just listening to them. But we were a D&D 3.5 group at the time. So I did not remember that the name was Benny from Benny's. I, so I started calling them Bucky. And <laughs> you remember if you remember 3.5, it's a lot of modifiers. So what I did was I went to the comic book shop and slash game store and I bought tw like 20 D4s and they were all purple. And so what we did, we had at our table was Bucky, which I would throw out the way you would hand out Bennies, but it would add, could be added to any roll, damage, D20 roll, anything. And so now in 5e, like it's not as necessary because there's mechanics that do the exact same thing, but it was just something that I could throw out at most, you're adding a plus four to a roll, which can be really helpful, but it's definitely not game-breaking. A full re-roll at the, at the speed of which Benny's flying Savage Worlds in like a D&D &D 5e game, that would be like if you started off 5e with three points of inspiration that you could spend after you rolled, and then throughout the game, the GM's chucking more at you, it, it can throw off the balance. Yeah, so I do similar concept, basically, like the Benny or the Fate Ship, being very clear that it can change something in the world. That you know, it can easily change something reasonable within the world, uh, and giving those away for game recaps. So, if you give the game recap at the beginning of the session, you have one that can be used throughout the session. If you give me a write-up on something about the world, you're going to get one. So, something we haven't explored yet. You know, you you know, there's a assassin guild out there. Give me a write-up on how they work. Uh, you have your favorite bar that you go to. Okay, who are their distributors? Who's the barmaid? Give me a write-up on that one character, and I, I'll give that out. And being very clear, it can be used for a reroll, or it can be used to change something about the world. Uh, I did that in a con game once that was a... The intention of the con game was to go insane. <laughs> it was uh, the very first Bard's Bard game that I ran, where everyone is a bard. So the idea being, if they... If they actually get into a fight, they've probably done something wrong. And I gave them that ability to, you know, they each, each one had one use of it and they could change absolutely anything. So 
they ran into a room and there was one of each type of elemental in there and uh, they one of them popped their chip and said that's not how I heard it I heard <laughs> it was a room of fluffy bunnies and it became a <laughs> room of neat. fluffy bunnies huh. <laughs> it like was just but were they bunnies were they fluffy bunnies like Monty Python and the Holy Grail bunnies nope they were that fluffy would have also been lovely <laughs> They were fluffy, friendly bunnies that for some reason were in a room in the middle of a, a dragon's lair, but <laughs> fluffy, friendly bunnies. And I rolled with it. <laughs> what about you, Callie? Well, I've only played D&D, so <laughs> um, not a lot of crossover mechanics there, but um, I actually have <laughs> been trying to encourage my players to write uh, like diaries from their character's perspective. And then every now and then I give writing prompts like, who's a person that your character has in their history? Whether it's far back or recently, tell me about that person. What do you know about them? How did they interact? And then if they do it, I give them inspiration tokens. And for some reason, only half of my players seem to use them. <laughs> So a couple of them have like an inspiration token from the very first that they just have never used. Do you play that you can use it after you roll? Um, I I think that I see. This is how long it's been since someone used one. <laughs> I I think that I ruled that you need to call it beforehand. Um, That's I think core. I think so. Um, but I did rule that they could use it against me. So oh, nice. They could implement disadvantage on a roll that I do. But they have never done that because I roll consistently garbage. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually had my players once tell me, it's okay. You can fudge the rolls against us. <laughs> it's nice to be on a stream where I'm the only good roller. <laughs> <laughs> it makes the players feel really good. I, that's that's all I can say. <laughs> so I wonder if they're not using it because they don't think about it or because they're hoarders. Because there is a certain type of player that if they have something, they'll always save it for that big moment. Now's yeah. not the moment. Now's not the moment. Um, I do have to wonder that because... Um, <laughs> they are video gamers at heart and only more recently started playing tabletop RPGs. And so I'm wondering if they've got the, um, I'm going to keep as many of these one-time use items as yeah. possible for the boss battle or, or something to that effect. Um, yep. Or it, <laughs> yep. Or it could just be <laughs> that, uh, you know, I have given them out so rarely because the the writing has kind of trickled off and we aren't able to uh, game as regularly as we used to. So I think the memory part is also probably a contributing factor. I, uh, yeah, so this is, so believe it or not, I am trying to keep my Savage World dudeness toned down. <laughs> um, believe it or not. Uh, in Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds uses bennies, and one of the first things of advice that you will hear is either my players don't spend bennies, or my players are dying, or the game combat took a little long, or did it, you'll hear all of these different things, and invariably the community will come back and say, you need to give them more. Um, specifically in Savage Worlds, you also as the GM have bennies, and so the two ways that you get players to spend bennies are you give them more, and you spend yours on stupid stuff. You know, you, you spend yours because the bad guy entered the room, and he tried to like do a gym move and he failed and you spend three of your bennies to make sure he succeeds because he's a badass and he's going to look like a badass and then you start to get it flowing that way 
Um, and that, so those are, I honestly, I, I had a huge failure as a GM recently, um, where I ended up TPKing by accident, um, versus TPKing on purpose, which I consider a success. <laughs> uh, but I looked back on it and I, li- I was just kicking myself because I'm just like, the bennies weren't flowing. Like, I know mm-hmm. what I need to do as a GM in that situation is to keep, keep those moving because the more I throw them their way, the more I'm going to get them right back. Uh, I had that same problem in a fake game of, I'm running a Dresden game and I'm noticing they have their pile of uh, fate chips. They're just not using them. And because they're not using them, I'm not throwing them out there. And I realized, you know, like, something has got to, to catch. It has to be an economy, whether it's Benny's or fate chips or so- anything else that's like this. It has to be an economy that keeps going. If either side stops, the other will too. And they won't necessarily even realize they're doing it. It's just mental. That's been one of my problems when I've been a player in a Savage Worlds game where a GM isn't giving them much. I'm hoarding them because I need them to unshake. Not anymore, but yeah. (laughs) One of the things I did once that was, it wasn't anything in a rule set wise. Uh, We hadn't been gaming for a little while. We had two or three sessions we missed. So I wanted something different to start the players off. And I gave them all completely different characters. This was a noir superhero game. And one of the characters was playing her day job was on a radio drama. So I handed them all sheets, just note cards. <laughs> you are this actor playing this role who wants this. And That's let amazing. them run wild with it. And then the things that they created out of the show and their backstabbing of each other for those first 15 minutes then became you know what I ran with for the rest of the session. I let them create things by giving them NPCs that they felt they could go wild with. And it worked really well. I found that they started doing more with their characters after that when they realized that it was, I was encouraging it. I was going to say, I know this is more about the player side of control, uh, but one of the things as a GM using these mechanics that I have found super helpful is that you can completely enforce or guide, if you want to be nice, um, the style of game you were looking for. You know, I get that everyone's playing at the table and it's everyone's game, but as a GM, you have an idea in your head that you've pitched and you want to get there. And, you know, the, what's the classic example? It's the D and D group goes and they're like all gunned up to play L5R and then they play L5R and they play it like D and D. And so as a GM, it's really kind of nice to have a little bit of control because like, for me, East Texas University, yes, it's Savage Worlds but it's basically Buffy in college. And so when we were playing our first couple of games, the thing that I would pass out Benny's for the most was when they were being sassy with each other. And every time they were like, well, you're the nerdy guys, so we're going to put you down. And, but we're also, we're the only two girls in the group. So we're going to fight, even though we love each other, even though we fight, and we're going to love each other. And like all of this like petty nonsense, one of them spreaded a rumor that the football player had STDs. And then he w- she was telling other people that when he was trying to, like that kind of stuff. And I just started throwing Benny's left, right, and center. And all of a sudden, that was the tone of the game. And you can do the same type of thing if what your goal is, is something grim and dark. I think that that, uh, like bullets in Skies of Glass, the way that bullet, like I would honestly say any player resource should be refreshed every session so that players are inspired to spend it. Bullets aren't. And I think it kind of works because it leads to that like scarcity that you have to be careful. So, I mean, from a GM side, in terms of controlling tone, I think it's also a really interesting thing to look at. Yeah, Skies of Glass is definitely a setting where I wouldn't refresh it every time because you are going for that scarcity. 
But if I wanted players to get this in their mind, I might try a one-shot of a completely different style game. I mentioned Inspectors earlier. Inspectors forces you as a player to define things. Running it as a one-shot might do, do a lot of good just to get people thinking that way. You know, I would I wouldn't want to run it as a campaign, obviously, because it's not really built for for any kind of campaign. But throwing it out there as just a one shot to make people think they may have never even thought they could do that. So in the uh, chat, angry angry cheese toast had a good question. I like. What do you think about letting players create their own weapons or items? Yes, but carefully. <laughs> yeah i i don't know the creation that i've done so far has been collaborative either with me and the group or me and individual players um and i think that's been a combination of me trying to guide them through it because i knew the, the system a little bit better than the players did and I knew the setting better than the players did and so trying to work with them to f incorporate their ideas into into the world and make it work um, but also like I didn't know where the <laughs> where the line was between mm -hmm. like what will break the game you know, I don't have that experience to be able to like look at something and go, that probably won't work. Um, <laughs> I would just be like, yeah, let's try it. And then, oh, it broke the game. Oops. Um, so I didn't want to break the game, obviously. <laughs> so um, I was trying to find that line between, you know, letting them be creative and let their ideas work and also keep things on the gaming mechanic level even <laughs> and uh, working properly but I don't think I've encountered that problem yet and um, I think the only item that people have requested is guns and dinosaurs mm. so <laughs> <coughs> oh, sorry that's yeah. great in Savage Worlds yeah. um, <laughs> but you're also playing D&D &D, and so one of the hard things about specifically D&D &D is I think of the things that D&D &D does better than everyone else, magic items has got to be up there. Like they have some of the coolest, most specific things. Your party can derail an entire published adventure with an immovable rod. Like that is one of the cool things yeah. about D&D. &D. Um, I, I personally, I go with the do me a favor, pick the stats for something, and then we're going to reskin it or trap it to heck like so if you want this gun to look be carved out of whalebone because your great uncle was the one who was chasing the yeah, the white whale the whole time like whatever you want to do that's fine go find the stats for a gun and then let's go ahead and do this and let's make it cool and let's make it part of your character but i don't necessarily want to mess with the stats in the game that people who are smarter than me spent a lot more time than me to balance out yeah, on that type of game, that's exactly the approach I take. You know, okay, it's a magic sword that does this. Now, why does it do that? Give me all the history you want. You make it look like whatever you want. There's the mechanics for it. On other games, so like on a uh, Savage, Savage Worlds, it would be the same thing. Here's the stats. It can be whatever it wants. But on a game like, say, Fate, it becomes an aspect. And as the the aspect of it defines what it is, how it is. It all has to fit within the mechanics of whatever game it's playing. But 
usually for me, that's just you're describing why it does what it does, but it it does something that's mechanically already there. Unless you want it to be living and talking, and then that's where the fun comes in for me. Because if it's a living, talking item, I'm controlling the voice. Yeah, hundred percent. That's I love that kind of thing, especially if you play a style of game where you're either texting or note carding, so yep. that the only person who hears the voice is is the player controlling it. Yeah, big and fan. I I am a big note card guy. I love doing that. And especially if there's like mental communication, I love passing it by notes. And uh, it's, I really enjoy when one player is hearing something the others aren't. Mm -hmm. I passed the note my very first time I ever played d and I passed the note to the GM and it, uh, the love has lived on. <laughs> well, I play online, so I get to like Whisper. private message people <laughs> yeah. off of, yeah. So that hasn't come up too much yet, but. I have plans. Mm -hmm. So Ryland TV says, uh, sitting in uh, in a chair for long periods of time at these games, do you prefer gaming chairs or what do you prefer for long-term <laughs> games? Couch. <laughs> I've been lucky enough that uh, at some of the gaming places I've been, I've there's been a couch on one side of the table and I always try to get there early enough to get the couch. Um, I, when I play in person, I want... Especially, well, if I'm running, I prefer to be on an end. I don't care about the chair so much. I need enough room to be able to stand uh, because when I'm running, I will sometimes stand. And when I play online, um, I actually I have a exercise ball that I <laughs> use for pretty much everything because I'm a fidgeter and fidgeting when you have microphones is really bad. But I can just I do mostly only do audio, so no one can tell that I'm bouncing while I'm also talking. <laughs> That's a good point I hadn't thought about. When GMing, I don't do the couch. I I want a spot by myself. I want to be able to have notes spread out. I don't usually do a GM screen, but if I do, it's because I have cheat sheet stuff on there, and you know I want to be able to be looking at my sheet without thinking someone's sitting on the couch next to me glancing over on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, me personally, I just need something with a lot of cushioning. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> sitting for long periods of times, some part of me will go numb. I, I need either to get up and move or I need something with extra padding. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, now I'm rolling, now I'm bouncing. Rolling, yeah. uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's you also have to stand up thing. I don't ever stand up when I'm playing for some reason. Mm. But when I'm GMing, I'll stand up. I'll Oh, all the time. Yeah. I got yelled at at my last game shop because we were doing a one shot on the same night as the Magic Tournament and I was standing up and I get very animated when I'm doing especially one shots because I realize that the more frustrated I act at the player's success, the more they feel like they're winning. Yep. So like I've, I've stood up, I've thrown my glasses, I dropped my book on the ground. And afterwards, a friend of mine came up to me. He's like, dude, are you okay? I mean, I know we were like doing well, but you seemed upset. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm fine. <laughs> but I'm glad you were having fun. <laughs> That's a good point. I've never DM'd in person, but I feel like I would probably need to stand up at the exciting parts and just like really get into it. Do we have more chat questions? Well, I have a question for you. What about uh, we're talking How about dare player you? Uh, player mm. control, and we kind of you kind of touched on it earlier about you know uh, like steering the direction of the adventure and things like that. But what about like especially with like Callie, um, if you're running a book adventure, what what about when they start going off the rails? <laughs> um, 
Okay, so um, <laughs> I may have unintentionally <laughs> derailed it myself. Um, uh. <laughs> when we when we did our session zero, I asked my players what kind of game they wanted to play. What did they want out of this game? And basically, unanimously, they were all more interested in role play than battle. Not that they didn't want battle, but um, they wanted to tell a story. And so um, when it came time to create characters, I was, I was very intentional about like not guiding them necessarily and like, oh, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that unless like they were like, I kind of have this idea, but I don't know what that looks like. And then it was like, okay, well, what about this? Um, because they weren't comfortable with the setting. Um, and so as a result, they have, um, they didn't start with full backstories. They just started with a rough idea. Um, like one aspect was like, this is it. And then since then they've built on it. And so I've just kind of like dropped things here and there and here and there. And now they're <laughs> in one of the largest cities um, in the setting and they've been there for, <laughs> In game, it's only been like maybe a week, but it's been months. <laughs> game time, and like they're they're following the storyline, <laughs> but they're also like they've encountered so much that they're like, "What do we do now? <laughs> we've got we've got information on this person's thing. We've got information on that person's thing. We've got." maybe something here uh we've got this thing to figure out uh uh and so now they're <laughs> in the city Paralyzed. with all these different yeah. ways to go and i'm like maybe i should not have thrown quite so much at them <laughs> oh i think that's great it sounds like you've just outgrown the module itself yeah so my only yeah. experience with running modules was for a short time uh, i did the D D 5e adventure leagues so not just a module, I was going into a game store running low-level you know, adventures for people I had never met that are coming in off the street playing organized play. And one of the feedbacks that I got from that from players is compared to some of the other people running it, they loved when they got my table because I let them go off the rails. The One of the things I liked about Adventure League versus some of the previous an organized play that I had heard about, they actually encourage you if people come up with an idea that isn't about combat or an interesting way to do something, reward them. And that's how I play anyway. So I've had them going off the rails like crazy, but the events that are happening in the module are still happening. So they eventually are going to have to come back to those events and they've just been happening without them. And things that the book never thought of I just have to figure out on the fly. And that led to my tables being the ones people were trying to get into. Yeah, I was going to say, same yeah. thing. The world keeps moving. Yes. Exactly. I definitely let them go off the rails. The world keeps moving. Um, one of my favorite pieces of, uh, of published adventures, actually right here, Degrees of Horror. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, but one of the things I, I tend to be a little more controlling I I own that now because I know not everyone feels that way. So I like to say where I am on the Venn diagram. Um, so one of the things that I do is I create illusions of choice. So like for that adventure, for example, I went through the entire 
book when I was reading through the adventure and found characters that weren't going to come up until a year later in terms of adventures and started introducing them right away. So that way, when the player wanted to go off and, and try and ask this girl out from science club or whatever, yes, that's a tangent. Yes, that's not what we're actually doing tonight. But that date means that he cares more about her when she gets attacked by a vampire in about six months. And so that was a way of just creating, um, I guess, context so that even when they go off the rails, it's still character building, world building, plot building. Uh, that does not always work. But when it does, it works really well. Yeah. So this is a really interesting question in the chat. Uh, Adelano Jamie asked the question of, have you ever changed the backstory of a character? For example, if the PC thought their dad was a drunk, but you later find out he was a hero. So I would say that question as well as, has anyone done that to you? Um, I, I have with player permission. There's so much as a GM I control that I don't really like changing that kind of stuff up. Um, but I will try to keep it vague generally. I'll be like, hey, you know that stuff you wrote about your dad? Do you mind if I mess with that a little bit? And if I do, do you want to be surprised? And then I'll, I go carte blanche. But I personally don't really like messing with stuff that has been given fully in control of the players. I feel the same way. I will, I'll have the conversation with them of, is that what happened or is that what your character thinks happened? Yeah. And it may end up being what happened, but I like having that conversation at session zero. And then if it comes out later, it's already been established that it's happened because as a player, if I had it set up and that was an important thing to me and then suddenly it got changed out from under me and I've seen that happen, it would be upsetting to me. Yeah, I... um I had uh, one of my characters, well, my very first character that I ever played, um, we finished a campaign and then the second campaign was kind of sort of a continuation uh, <laughs> with those characters. Um, and the lore between the times, like the settings of those two campaigns, I had ideas about and I sent it to my DM and my DM basically ignored all of it and changed things. <laughs> it didn't like change the character at all. It was kind of not super important information, but it was still kind of like, uh, that's not it's really frustrating. Good. Yeah. So Especially I've tried not ways. to do that. <laughs> yeah. well, think about it from a, let's look at a comic book character, Batman. Batman is defined by his parents being shot down in the street. Spoilers. Well, you're, pl <laughs> you're playing an, a superhero RPG. You're playing Batman. You're defined by this. And your mom just showed up at a party. And she wasn't ever gunned down. She just decided she didn't want to be a mother and ran away. As If I were that player, I would be pretty upset by that. Yeah. Because that is a defining factor of the game. Now, if I had said, you know, if I hadn't defined that about the character, if it wasn't something that was a important part of the character, then it might suddenly be interesting. But that's the important thing is, does that matter to the character? And if you're changing something that somebody has defined their character around it, kind of makes you a dick. Well, and it's kind of what you both said. It, it comes back to this communication element. Like Wayne, what you were saying, if on your session zero as a GM, you go, hey, what if this is set in stone? And what if this can I play with? And if someone said, well, my parents were murdered set in stone. You can even lean on it and you can say, 
are you sure? Like you said, is that what you know what the character knows? Um, and, and then go from there. Or Kelly, what you were saying, if someone gives you a whole bunch of information and you just throw it away, I, I for one, I like, if we're taking breaks, I like to have players in certain spots for certain reasons. But that's a great time to be like, I love what you're doing here. When we come back, this is where you've been and this one event definitely happened to you. Everything else, you go. Like, but... You know, but that's all. I'm I'm a big fan of saying that it's ninety percent of what we talk about on these types of shows is communication. And if we all knew how to talk to each other, we wouldn't be doing yeah. this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, my my players. Um, like I told them initially, figure out how your character thinks. You don't have to know why they think that way yet. Uh, you can build that as you play the character. You can figure it out. You can change certain things as you go. Um, I mean, if you want to fill out the entire backstory, <laughs> go for it, but it would probably be better to leave gaps. And so in those gaps, um, we have talked and, um, you know, like, do you care if you're, if you make up this certain detail, like the names of your parents or am I free to do that? And, they'll tell me and then we'll move on from there. And, you know, so there have been like adjustments maybe from what they were originally thinking, but um, I usually tell them why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. And then they'll be like, Oh, I like that. Or mm, I think this works better. And then we work out, you know, the finishing details we work out either like, yeah, I like that idea. Let's roll with that. Or I think we'll stick with this. And that's fine. You know, it just forces you to be creative in a different way <laughs> to come up with different ideas. It just keeps the creative juices flowing, but communication is definitely yeah. key. Well, and sometimes it's just a mistake. I've seen it happen a couple times where you, you read the backstory three months ago and now some part of that has come up that isn't exactly how somebody had thought it was. I've had it happen to me as a player and to me as a GM. And when I'm doing it as a GM, I try to, you know, I talk to the player afterwards. Hey, okay, I realized that I made a mistake. Let's find something we can do to make it right for you. This and is actually do something for them. Going towards the end, this is something I wanted to talk about, which is as a GM, what do you do when you have made a mistake that has taken away that control and that agency from the players? Yeah, the key to me is I have to make it right somehow. And I wish I could give a, this is how I do it, but it's different in each situation. Uh, sometimes I give the character something. So I've done something that has taken away agency, so I find something cool I can give them. But the key is I talk to the player first. It's like, I made a mistake. I have done this. You should have been able to do that, or you should be able to do this creative thing. Let's give you something that gives you that creativity back like that. yeah it's it's um i mean it's always a learning process um when my group first started i um i did these scenes where it was um essentially a moment from each character's history where i linked them to a character from the written campaign um so like gage had said i i well I linked them. They didn't link themselves. Um, I took a character from the storyline, uh, somewhere in the storyline, and I wrote a scene where these two characters met. And while each player had a 
moment where they got to like choose what to do um, afterwards because we do a postmortem after every game where I ask them like, what did you like? What did you not like? What worked? What didn't work? Um, <laughs> they told me like, oh, I kind of would have liked to have had a, an opportunity to speak in that scene or to do something else. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this is still your character. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Cool. But I was brand new. Like it was, I think the very first session. And so I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> and so I just was like, if I have it written, I can be calm. <laughs> and, you know, there's not as many unknowns and I can maybe get through the session without totally bombing. Um, and so since then we have done other, uh, I think we just call them memory flashbacks or whatever of um, character history. And they either write them with me or they ad lib them uh, as we go. And it's like, you know, we've, we've worked it out. So one last thing that I have to throw out about the giving players control thing, I don't recommend giving them control of NPCs in combat. Uh, I love doing scenes where if the players aren't, if all the players aren't there, all the characters aren't there, give an NPC to a player to talk and things. But I saw at least one time when this went bad, and part of it was it wasn't really balanced very well, but you gave the GM at the time gave a couple of us the bad guy NPCs to fight the other players. It just so happened the ones of us that they gave the bad guy NPCs to were, and this was a Pathfinder game, very familiar with the rules and how everything works and how to be tactical. And before we knew it, we wiped the floor with the party and we felt bad. At first, it's like, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is kind of fun. But when one of the PCs died, we suddenly felt bad. We just took this PC away from our player that's sitting at the table with us that we like playing with and we like that character. And it felt it really it's it's even worse than when you're when you're a gm and you're doing it it's part of the game it's something you're dealing with but when you're a player and you've been asked to play an npc and you've now killed another player character that's the game almost died right there i would say the flip of that though is definitely feel free to let people play allied npcs yes yeah, I love doing the allied NPCs to get them into the game. I love doing even the bad guys if it's a conversation, but I will never, ever give a player character a bad guy to fight against the other player characters. <laughs> Just because that, that happened to me and it was not fun when I killed one of the other characters. Yeah. It's one thing for the DM to kill a player. It's another for a player to kill a player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that sad and sour note, Wayne, fuck. <laughs> bringing the whole room down. Hey, I'm all about giving players control, just not giving players control of the bad guys. <laughs> That's probably smart. Oh. All right. So, what else do we have to cover? Somebody in the chat did ask, how do you manage uh, relative D-Pod? Hey, Joe. I uh, said, how do you manage to wrangle up such a sexy cast for this show? <laughs> and this is not decorative. This is the basement that Eric has kept me locked in for the last year and a half. Please send help. Yeah, I killed one of Eric's characters by trying to roll a medical roll and save it. So I kind of owe him. 
Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we're wrapping up, um, let's uh, start with Gage and uh, just again let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, yeah. So gaming with just the dinosaur is a project that I put out. Uh, and watch it. No, my internet can be stable. Yeah. Oh, yep. Even full robot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. At least I waited till the end. At least I waited till the end. The yeah, internet doesn't want you plugging things. Right. Did, you, did you hear anything I said? Uh, just uh, my, your name, and that was about it. And the rest of it was all oh. robot. <laughs> oh, okay. Gaming with Gage podcast. Uh, you can find it everywhere that there are podcasts. If you want to check out Guns and Dinosaurs, Callie, uh, A Savage Guide to Dinosaurs is on DriveThruRPG. Uh, there'll be more stuff there. And that's pretty much it. Uh, well, I'm Callie. Um, you can find me. Well, I'm not very active on Twitter, but I am at Apple X Sauce. Uh, I, my D and D group is at riff and rabble and we stream. Well, we won't be streaming till the new year, but we are, um, twitch.tv slash riff and rabble. All right. Uh, I'm Wayne. Fear the Boots, uh, ideologyofmadness.com, Facebook, Twitter, I not hard to find. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Gage, Callie, and Wayne for hosting this week. Um, and thank you uh, for the great questions. We had uh, Young One Two coming in strong again. Uh, Angry Cheese Toast, that's Cheyenne. Thank you so much for your question. Ryland TV, uh, Relative Depod, as always, great to uh, field questions from you. Uh, and then Adelano Jane, uh, Jamie uh, had that wonderful one at the end. So thank you all for all those great chat questions. Um, and thank you for watching. And we will see you next week. Yeah.